here today with Sam Cheney. Thank you very much, Sam, for for coming in today and talking a little bit of a farewell uh, mm-hmm. podcast episode. But since you did your, I guess, last presentation to the school, and I unfortunately had to miss that episode for a JV lacrosse game, um, I got to watch it. And you know, we've been talking these last couple of weeks here before you head off and go on to the next mm-hmm. phase of your life, but. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to get you in here and talk a little bit about your poetry and some of the poets who have really been inspiring you lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks. So I guess the first thing I kind of want to start with before we get into poetry is we talked a little bit in the library about Don DeLillo, mm. who I've been reading. Um, mm-hmm. And one thing I've been thinking about, not even having to do with his writing or, or his um, story at all, but just... Mm-hmm style and yeah. I, I want to talk to you about style I think to start off the podcast because the way I've been thinking about style since reading his work is that I can read one of his sentences or extract one of his sentences from this book and mm-hmm. know that it's his work mm-hmm. I think every single one of his sentences has something about it that is unique to his style mm-hmm. um, so I, I think my question or or point of conversation here is like what is style to you and I'm sure you talk about style a lot with with poetry I mean it's a major piece of it Mm -hmm. but how do you go about thinking about that sure I mean style I it's interesting that you've picked DeLillo because I do uh early on in the semester I'll give my students a handout that's effectively you know four different voices um four different writers sounding like what they sound like and DeLillo is someone who absolutely, right, sounds like himself and is particular, right? His sentences are, um, they're kind of long. His voice, he often appeals to theory or theoretical things or art history in the same sentence that he's, um, you know, swinging for the fences. Uh, sometimes like literally, I mean, we, we might talk about Pafco at the Wall, mm-hmm. which is one of his books that I think is kind of a perfect novella. That'll be my first recommendation for the podcast episode. There we go. Read Pafco at the Wall. It's perfect 70 pages. But, um, I mean, style essentially is how you say the thing, right? Uh, content is separate from the voice or the style. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a choice. And that's really what I'm the first thing that I do when I'm talking about it with students is to, to sort of ask you to realize you can say this in so many different ways and you have so many different voices. We all do, right? Mm-hmm. The way that I speak with my friends, the way that I talk to my neighbor, the way that I talk to my mom is different from the way that I answer a question in class mm-hmm. is different than how I'm talking on this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so getting people to think about all the different voices and fields of knowledge that they have right? Whether that is video gaming or how you talk online is a good way to get people to think about style is what do you sound like when you're writing an Instagram caption? What do you sound like when you're commenting on or DMing somebody versus how do you sound when you're talking to your dad after work Mm -hmm. or when he gets home, right? So we all have these different voices and we also have these different ways that we like to make ourselves sound. So style is, is in at first kind of choosing that. How do I want to say it? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get into things like sentence lengths and how long, you know, do I like to go? DeLillo of- often has really, really long sentences with a lot of subordinate clauses and things like that. Um, so, yeah, 
Yeah, I think uh, uh, another person I think about, and I introduced this book on the previous episode, is String Theory mm. by David Foster Wallace. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to get into David Foster Wallace mm. recently because I think I'm going to tackle Infinite Jest this summer, hopefully. Uh, uh-huh. I mean, it's a big – I don't know. Have you read Infinite Jest? I haven't. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, 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 you know, it's an undertaking, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah. But something I like about his writing is he'll he'll almost mimic a boring lecture, mm-hmm. right? And you can tell from that style of writing halfway through, you're like, I'm bored to death right here. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's what he's going for. That's his point. Mm-hmm. So I think in addition to just the style of a sentence and understanding who the writer is from, from the way that they construct a sentence uh-huh. is like... If you're thinking about telling a story, you're you're almost trying to match that style with your point that you're trying to make. Like th- this is, you know, what David Foster Wallace does a lot is he'll have a huge paragraph, you know, trying to mimic what it's like to be at a tennis match. So it's uh-huh. almost back and forth and you can hear the sounds being made in the audience. Right. And I, I really like that. I appreciate about his writing is it matches, I guess, the environment that mm-hmm. he's trying to write about. Right. And different authors, I mean, and right, by the way, David Foster Wallace, massively influenced by Don DeLillo. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't get him without DeLillo Um, and another, uh, you know, a number of other authors, obviously, um, like Thomas Pynchon. But um, I think what's interesting is you kind of, you will end up sounding like the writer behind these voices, right? You know, Don DeLillo has all these different narrators and they're not the same, right? These characters are often quite different from one another. Um, but there still is, you know, this sort of inherent way that I think you come to feel about delivering information. And that really is, I guess, what we talk about, like when a writer finding her voice, mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. is the fact that despite this novel being about, you know, characters uh, in... 1800s England, and the next novel being about a family in Brooklyn, uh, the authors writing them still like to sort of meet out information in in that particular way. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think you get that in both of those guys. Yeah. I think we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast episode, but um, I I often like to think about writing and try to compare Mm -hmm. it to art because I think Mm -hmm. that's visual and something that my students can see when I explain it. And I almost think of a, a writer's style as like the brush strokes of a yeah. painting. You yeah, know, it's like, how you're applying the information. Mm-hmm. Like Van Gogh, you could tell just from yep. a, a subsection of one of his paintings that that's him. And yep. I think that's amazing. Um, and, and that's when you know that you really have your own unique uh, way of expressing something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's very difficult to teach. You know, it's like I just got done grading a, a pile of essays from my students and some of them they just don't work because the voice hasn't been delivered there's nothing mm-hmm. quirky or unique coming through the, the sure. writing well that one of the hardest things as a young writer especially somebody coming through a school like this is you're you know you are taught and encouraged to sound a certain way right that the ap english voice is what you're going for in most of your papers um kind of if you're lucky, right? Um, and again, it's just, it's it's important to realize that it's a choice and that it's not a default. That when you sit and write whatever, even if it's a paragraph for your science class, right? Um, you still can choose to make that sound however you want and you can have fun with it. 
or lean into the you know theory or lean away from it and be really idiomatic and conversational um but uh you know it's like sometimes you just don't you haven't been told that Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. interesting well Let's get to some of the poems that you brought in today. I know you've got Merwin here. Mm-hmm. I don't know too much about him. Um, Why did you choose him, and what is this collection you brought in? Yeah. Um, so Merwin I chose. This is W.S. Merwin. Uh, and the book that I brought in, which I, I totally do recommend, this is called The Essential W.S. Merwin, uh, which is kind of a collection, you know, a, a selected poems of his whole career, which was massive. Uh, He was writing poems for like 70 years. And Merwin is a a poet that I really love and that I kind of realized that I haven't been talking about that much here at Gilman uh, in the halls or with my students or the people that come meet with me. So I wanted to shout him out. Um, I was torn another book that I'm going to recommend and a poet that I, if we if I could hold you all hostage and do this for four hours, um, we'd read a bunch of Gwendolyn Brooks and we'd read uh, some W.S. Merwin as well. Um, but this this book is the one to get for Gwendolyn Brooks. She has a selected as well, but it's called Blacks. And this is her almost collected. It has most of her, her poems in it. Um, I was going to read The Rights for Cousin Vit by her and Memorial to Ed Bland, two really great kind of eulogies, um, poems in memory. But I just love Gwendolyn Brooks and I wanted to shout her out as well. Merwin, I'm choosing for a couple reasons. Um, One, because I'm going to read this poem, Berryman, uh, and I get to recommend two different poets because of that. Um, Merwin studied with John Berryman, who's one of my all-time favorite poets. And so this poem, which is also about writing and kind of the teaching of writing, I thought would be a perfect fit for this context. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of passing along knowledge that has been passed along to us from William Stanley Merwin, who got the knowledge from John Berryman, mm. um, who he studied with uh, when he was you know, beginning as a writer. Um, so I, maybe I'll just jump right in and read, read this poem, Berryman. Um, Merwin, often his poems, and the next one I will read is incredibly short, um, very mysterious, and his poems are pretty bite-sized. They're awesome. Like, this book is perfect to keep on your nightstand. If you want a 10-second poem or a 40-second poem, and to just kind of reorient your life or your morning or your night, um, you can flip in to basically any page and land on something that's really, truly worth reading and thought-provoking. Um, this poem is weird for him because it's almost like a memoir and it's a little bit more prosaic than almost anything he ever wrote in the rest of his career. So this is a poem called Berryman. John Berryman was a mid-century poet. Um, he's grouped in sometimes with the confessional poets, uh, and he was a, a character. If you want to see what John Berryman's about, go on YouTube and look up Dream Song 14 by John Berryman and watch him reading it. Hmm. And if you like that, um, you've got a fix for life. You, you, that the video is crazy. He's half drunk. He was an alcoholic. He's a, I mean, he's a true sort of romantic poet in these ways that I think sometimes we like to think of poets as Hmm. troubled and, uh, passionate and, um, yeah, he's kind of, he, you know, he, he is a figure that, has that kind of temperature about him. Now, what's his 
what's his background and where did he and Merwin meet? So he and Merwin, uh, I mean, he, Berryman was a teacher, like most career poets, right? He cashed or, you know, collected paychecks by teaching at a summer workshop here or the University of Iowa for two semesters there. So um, Merwin was at Princeton and Berryman was a TA there. And so he, Merwin was in John Berryman's workshop. So that's where we'll pick up. Love it. Berryman. I will tell you what he told me in the years just after the war, as we then called the Second World War. Don't lose your arrogance yet, he said. You can do that when you're older. Lose it too soon, and you may merely replace it with vanity. Just one time he suggested changing the usual order of the same words in a line of verse. Why point out a thing twice? He suggested I pray to the muse, get down on my knees and pray, right there in the corner, and he said he meant it literally. It was in the days before the beard and the drink, but he was deep in tides of his own, through which he sailed, chin sideways and head tilted, like a tacking sloop. He was far older than the dates allowed for, much older than I was. He was in his thirties. He snapped down his nose with an accent I think he had affected in England. As for publishing, he advised me to paper my wall with rejection slips. His lips and the bones of his long fingers trembled with vehemence of his views about poetry. He said the great presence that permitted everything and transmuted it in poetry was passion. Passion was genius, and he praised movement and invention. I had hardly begun to read. I asked, how can you ever be sure that what you write is really any good at all? And he said, you can't. You can't. You can never be sure. You die without knowing whether anything you wrote was any good. If you have to be sure, don't write. Wow, that's amazing. That's cool. It's cool, right? <laughs> I like the um, the he snapped down his nose with an accent. I think he had affected in England. Mm -hmm. That's that's awesome. Yeah, and he does. He has a very weird mid-Atlantic voice. You know, he's of this generation of of people who, especially you know, who were raised on the East Coast. Um, that you know, he has an accent like an actor in a 1930s movie, you know? Um, and Berryman is not British, but there is some of this strangeness about his voice that's yeah. really wonderful to listen to. Yeah. I mean, he really captures the character, and I don't know anything about Berryman. I haven't seen him. I'm going to watch the video, but yeah. <laughs> but he really captures his character, and I think he, he really expresses a lot about what teaching is, is like and the kind of importance of teaching mm -hmm. and how one piece of advice that you give a student mm -hmm. can really ch shape the way they produce work and think about things. Mm -hmm. If you're lucky. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I, yeah, I like the way I like the lessons that are imparted here and it's, you know, it's an incredibly memorable ending. Uh, how can you be, how can you ever be sure that what you write is really any good at all? You can't. Right. If you have to, if you have to be sure, don't write. Mm -hmm. it's good advice yeah yeah and it's um it's good advice to remember i think as a young writer 
because we're so driven toward, uh, you know, positive feedback. We're so we we're so hungry as young people for that gold stamp from our teachers or our workshop leaders or a magazine. And you know, uh, a life in art is long, and and it's it's always interesting to hear from people who have in some way or another made it right mm -hmm. that you're that uncertainty never goes away mm -hmm. um and so if you have to be sure that what you're doing is is good um you you can get burnt out so it's important to remember that that's not why you do it yeah it's it's got to be a really tough um conflict to battle with as a poet or an artist mm -hmm. because in some ways you know, and I was talking about the college recommendation letters with my students and mm -hmm. the personal essay and writing about yourself. And it's really the same thing because in some ways you're trying to write something because you need to and you love it and it's your art and it's your creation. But there's also like you want to get published and you want mm -hmm. to share your poetry and you want the stamp of approval of, you know, your book on the shelf, mm -hmm. right? So there's that conflict that you probably are, are you know, thinking about all the time. Yeah. Definitely. And you you can't help but want certain things, right? You can't help to, you know, desire any sort of push that says keep going. And I do think that that's an important role that teachers and mentors play is saying, you know, this is good. Keep going. Mm -hmm. um, but you have to you have to want to do it because you want to do it. Right. You have to write because you want to write. You have to. Uh, decide that you want to be it's the same as anything else right mm -hmm. um but uh the accolades or positive feedback is not you know gonna gonna be an end in itself forever mm -hmm. yeah and i think part of good mentorship and good teaching is if you're lucky again kind of breaking open that mental block mm -hmm. where everything is to an end it's to a grade it's to yeah. college yeah Whereas it could actually just be the joy of writing poetry or writing an essay that you you enjoyed the process of doing it. You yeah. you're proud of what you've done, and you don't need my you know twenty nine out of thirty fraction on the yeah. top of your page no. to to tell that to you. Yeah, you do it because whatever it is, you love not theory and you want to keep thinking about it, mm -hmm. or you love biology and you know the the questions I think are more salient um, and the quest. Mm -hmm. things you're looking for. Um, that's what will keep you doing this thing sustainably. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. I've never heard that poem before. Now I want to learn more about both these poets. Yeah. Merwin and Berryman. Um, cool. I also really like the part in this poem about passion and how um, he had the great presence that per permitted everything and transmuted it in poetry was passion. Passion was genius and he praised movement and invention. And I think that's really true about a piece of writing is mm -hmm. your passion for the subject or the joy that you're finding when you're writing something somehow finds a way to come through the writing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's hard to pinpoint, but it's, um, it's almost under the surface of a work of art that the artist has like enjoyed or has a passion mm -hmm. for producing this. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you're saying this because it's reminding me of um of something I wanted to say on this podcast, which is a line that I I tell my students always, which is that a poem is not a retelling of an experience. A good poem is an experience. Right? Poems are experiences. So, 
rather than just sort of retelling us what it was like to have a teacher and be John Berryman's student, you know, we need to experience this in our, you know, for ourselves. We need to feel that. Um, and I think that's a really important distinction. I think a lot of people think of poetry or all creative writing as, you know, sort of the author retelling some things that happened to them or coming up with an experience, even fictionally, that they're then retelling in a convincing way. But the poem itself is the thing. It's like listening to a song, right? You experience it mm -hmm. as it goes. Um, and so I think that that's important to remember is that like, you know, a poem isn't saying I, you know, someone left me and now I'm sad. It should feel like an experience on its own. Mm -hmm. And maybe actually that'll bring me, I'll read one more. I'll, I'll shoehorn one more Merwin poem in. This yeah. is an incredibly short poem. Um, from much earlier in his career called Separation. Separation. Your absence has gone through me like thread through a needle. Everything I do is stitched with its color. So there's one for you. Um, an incredibly sad poem, but I think part of why it's, it works is because we feel that, right? And it's fresh, it's, it's exciting. It's not just saying something happened or I am sad, but it is making that come alive for me as I read it. Mm -hmm. um, and something, right, the, the metaphor here, um, metaphors give us the ability to feel concepts. Right. Like a metaphor makes something like love or separation um, become something that is tangible to us. Right. Um, and so your absence has gone through me like thread through a needle. Everything I do is stitched with its color. Mm -hmm. I think. Oh, <laughs> I think you envision that as you read it. I think you might see that color or that thread as a certain color, right? You may have pictured it as red or green or something. Um, also the idea that everything I do, you're here, right? You're, you're not even you, but your absence is here, is everywhere. It's really, really interesting. So it's quite theoretical, but when I apply it to this physical thing, a needle and thread, now I'm watching it happen. I'm watching a theoretical thing happen. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Yeah, I like this a lot. I think what does it for me with this poem is the last word color because mm. in some ways the the what the poem is about, um, that word defies what the poem is about because you think of separation, absence, and loss as mm. almost like gray, you know, mm. or, or a dark feeling. Mm -hmm. But the last word is contradicting, I think, that assumption about what absence is. And I think, you know, I... I think that almost brings me to another question that I wanted to ask you today because I read the poem that you wrote um, and you might have to help me with the title, but mm. uh, but about the flood at your house yeah. and then what you're going to name mm. a daughter mm -hmm. or, or what the narrator of the poem is going to name daughter, Claire or Colette, mm. right? And I think the the way that the, that last stanza defies the rest of the poem, uh -huh. it you know, it brings it to life a lot more for me in a, in a similar way that this poem, the word color 
uh-huh. defies my expectation of what separation and loss is. Yeah. Right. Uh huh. Yeah, and that poem, it's making a figure. Right. Absence, absence is the the opposite of a thing being around. Right. Absence is a void, but he's making that void something that is present. Right. Mm-hmm. That is the very thread um, that I, you know. So, yeah, very interesting. Um, Sorry, follow me and get me to the second part of your well, the si- question. The, the, I got too excited about the Merwin. The, the question, I mean, it really has to do with this poem that I really mm-hmm. like. The, what is it called? Where you're thinking about having a child while my house is flooding. Yes. Can we read that one? I know you read it yeah. before, but I uh-huh. like this one a lot. Yeah, I'll be happy to. Thinking about having a child while my house is flooding. Atomic science suggests some years are shorter. Time not elastic, but simpler, just going by more quickly. Leaving us with less than the less we could fairly expect. Somehow, it's also backfilled the pipes and exploded out the bowl of the toilet, an exact radial blast three and a half feet high. The toilet paper roll, sink, mirror, hand-dyed hand cloth, pink shower curtain, framed photo of a tulle veil floating in wind, against a blurred brown horizon of oak trees, all evenly soaked. We don't know how much of this we'll get. I suck up the pond we've dammed off using a shop vac. The precious things we could save, we rushed upstairs, like a moving day in minutes instead of hours. Shop vac, then towels, then shop vac, then towels, and industrial dehumidifier. There will be plenty water left for the cave crickets. I would hope for a girl. We could give her a French name, like Claire or Colette. That's awesome. Yeah, see that, that you know, you kind of suck me in for the first six stanzas of this poem, and then at the end it just fl- flips everything around. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really like that about a poem. It, it's sort of like... Um, uh, what is the poem? I've wasted my life almost, yeah. right? Like uh-huh. that line mm-hmm. changes everything about the poem and all your expectations for what it's supposed to be about. Right. Yeah. And um, titles can help with that, right? I mean, my title is telegraphing what's coming. Uh, and then I'm giving, hopefully giving the reader enough time to have forgotten so that you have this feeling of oh, okay, we're back, right? I knew it was coming and then I forgot. It's very satisfying to build in that kind of distance from from an expectation. So uh, your titles can buy you big swerves in poems like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it can be quite satisfying. It doesn't always work, you know? I know, you know, some students, I'm sure you've taught the James Wright poem too and they're they're ticked off. Um, <laughs> but, but it can be satisfying. I mean, it's one thing that I think we love in writing is you know, God forbid, we'd be really surprised by the place a piece of writing has ended up. Right, right. You know, um, that's one thing I really love. Second recommendation of the podcast, or my fourth or whatever, but if you want a really wild book of short fiction, um, Jesus' Son by Dennis Johnson. And uh, he is kind of swinging for the fences with every ending of all of those stories. He's breaking the rules. He's doing things that they tell you, don't do this in the workshop um, and going somewhere quite crazy with like his last page or two. Um, 
And for me, that's like an incredibly satisfying reading experience because it's defying my expectations um, mm -hmm. and it's taking risks, right? It's going outside of its lane or its, its stated path um, as a narrative. So yeah, I hope that this ending or some endings that I do like this, I hope that it has a feeling like that. Yeah. Um, what, is the, what is your favorite story in that collection? I know the most famous probably is the car crash while hitchhiking. Yeah. But then there's emergency, right? That's pretty emergency is insane. Um, I mean, the first half of emergency is so insane. Uh, <laughs> I do love. I feel like. I mean, I. I think I'll never forget the first time getting to that last page or two of car crash. Really, page of car crash while hitchhiking, and then also again, without spoiling anything, the last sentence. Right. Um, he's just. He's. He's really. Uh, he's really like I said, swinging for the fences with these endings. Um, so maybe, but those are, I think, two that yeah. really are, are amazing. Yeah, and I, I think you remember the first time reading his work because it's so shocking and so different from anything you've ever read before, yeah. right? Like, Yeah, another you, also just great example of voice. If you want narrators that don't sound like Don DeLillo, Jesus' son is a good place to look. <laughs> yeah, um, yep. Yeah, and the end of, ending of emergencies is is so good. It's like you know, if you're if you're listening to this on Spotify, I'm beaming right now, thinking, <laughs> imagining the ending, um, the last paragraph of the story, emergency. So awesome! Thank yeah. you for the recommendations. Um, yeah. So maybe a couple more poems or po yeah um, uh, poets that you want to talk about. We'll keep this episode a little bit shorter because, as we said, I think. You know, hour-long episodes can be daunting for some people, and I think mm -hmm. you know, I think we can try a shorter episode. Sure. Here. Do you have a Do you have something of that you want me to read or talk about, or should I just pick one now? I'm happy to do either. Um, hmm, let's see. Well, I really like Block Island, and I know you worked on that for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also like the senior speech, and I think the senior speech is fitting for for this episode and for Gilman. So yeah, maybe yeah I mean, this, do that is, one. this is my goodbye episode. So yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy to, to read it. This is, um, this is a poem. There's, there, you know, a, a type of poem or a genre is an occasional poem, which is, you know, a poem written for the convocation of a school or the poem, uh, that, that is written for the president's inauguration right that's probably the most famous um occasional poem that we that we see uh and after four semesters of teaching here i had been kind of dragging around some lines um that i started thinking you know i could maybe you know it might be nice to sort of to write a poem or or give my students a poem uh that i could leave them with uh so i said this in my assembly but uh if you're if you've been in a class with me um, you will learn about poetry and fiction writing and screenwriting. Um, but I also like to throw in, uh, usually really surprise, you know, without any, any forewarning, like life lessons. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to teach my students how to jumpstart a car and, um, get them to think about, uh, things like that. Uh, and I can't, I guess I can't help it. And many teachers can't help, you know, imparting a little bit of, of wisdom or things that we think might matter or make you a more conscientious person. Um, and so this is uh, kind of a, a cento, which is like, cento is like an, uh, an ancient Italian mashup poem, 
where it's made up of lines from other places. So if I took, if I just listened to, uh, you know, 92.3 and wrote down 15 cool lines and then arranged them into a poem, that's a cento. Hmm. Um, and so this is, this is kind of playing with that form for the first half of the poem of stuff Cheney has said or taught. Uh, so this is senior speech. You can delete the app by holding down three seconds. Positive to positive, negative to ground. Leave the shower wet to leave the bathroom dry. Choose a song and stick to it. Get good. Use your blinkers. Leave enough space for the next car. Smythe's right. Be the dancing guy in the festival crowd. Death will touch your life. We're here to feel things. Breathe in when the bell, when the bell rings. Every band needs a laptop or a keyboard player. You'll go off to college. Someone in their dorm room will play you Joni Mitchell's Blue or Frank Ocean's Blonde, and the songs will stop being songs and become a scary portal to future you. Your teachers may stay put or go away. Get out of here. You'll be old soon enough. Honor us by remembering and forgetting. Read for pleasure. Write me a postcard. Love it. So good. Thanks. I really like, uh, well, I like a lot about this poem. Well, I think the scary portrait portal to a future you is so good. And I think it really puts it nicely about how like songs evoke certain memories, mm -hmm. you know, because that's mm -hmm. what you're talking about. There is these, you know, two songs, Frank Ocean's Blonde, Joni Mitchell's Blue. And when you hear them in the f future, like time becomes different, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, songs bring you to different places. And I think yeah. that's something that high school students understand, right? Like mm -hmm. they, they get that. Uh, sometimes I have my students write in a personal essay with the, with the first line being, I remember the first time I heard blank. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I like how you put that in there because it's relatable for anybody, but mm -hmm. especially high schoolers. Yeah, and, and cultural objects kind of give us ourselves too, right? Like you never know when you're going to see a movie and all of a sudden, you know, you're not just seeing another movie. Right. But, but it, you, you're seeing, you know, you're, something is opening up and you're changing as a person because of that. Um, so, yeah, I like the way that time collapses when you revisit something like that. Um, but when you're hearing it for the first time, you may not know that yet. Right. There's also the sense that the first time I sat in my dorm room playing an album by Joni Mitchell, um, I didn't know that this that this whole fork was mm -hmm. developing right then. Yeah. Right. That that was my future opening up. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really thrilling. That's that's one of the reasons that it's so exciting to be the age that that all of our students are. Yeah. Is um, those things, those like really important things are happening right. and right. or and or about to yeah cool yeah, so i'm excited for excited for you all students well sam thank you very much for um for bringing these poems today and for sharing some of your work with us um 
we're going to miss you here at Gilman. I mean, it's been great to get to know you. Hopefully we uh, can connect and you'll still be in the Baltimore area a little bit, but um, I'll be around. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you, Chessere. Um, Yeah. And thank you to, to all of the teachers and faculty and my colleagues and friends here. Um, There are so many of you that have made these two years awesome. Um, And I'm really thankful for the the people I've been able to meet um, and, thankful for the chance to be here so yeah thanks very much awesome appreciate it yeah thanks for coming in so let me close with this lucille clifton poem. yes perfect. i brought in i had brought in one last one and i don't want to miss my chance yep so um yeah lucille clifton if if you don't know lucille clifton uh and you're listening is i i would say you know probably the most or among the most important poets um, attached to Baltimore or related to Maryland ever. Um, she's, she's a really important figure of, of 20th century American poetry. And she, she lived in Baltimore for much of her life and in Maryland for much of her life. She was the poet laureate of Maryland in the seventies and eighties for a while. Um, she lived in West Baltimore and there's a house there now, the Clifton house that has been reopened as sort of an art center. So everyone should check that out. The Clifton house. Um, she read at Gilman. Uh, to the best of my knowledge or my detective work, I'm thinking December of 1993. Um, I found a VHS tape recording of her writers at work reading. So I'm getting that digitized with archives and hoping that we can, we can dig into that. Um, or I can, you know, at least pass it on to the, to everybody in the archives in the library before I leave. Um, but Lucille Clifton taught at St. Mary's in Southern Maryland for years. And this poem uh, blessing the boats is a poem that she read. It's dedicated. It was at a convocation. So this is one of her sort of occasional poems for a, a goodbye and specifically a goodbye to, to students. Um, so this is blessing the boats by Lucille Clifton at St. Mary's. May the tide that is entering even now the lip of our understanding carry you out beyond the face of fear. May you kiss the wind, then turn from it, certain that it will love your back. May you open your eyes to water, water waving forever. And may you, in your innocence, sail through this to that. Lucille Clifton rocks. That's great. Go get a buck. <laughs> um so thank you. Thanks, Jake. Uh, yep. Thanks to everybody at Gilman, especially my students. Um, it's been awesome. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you, Sam. Yep.